The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
courage. We're in this together. Amen.
so good to be in church, is it not? One of my absolute favorite places to be. You know, I've been thinking about heaven a lot lately, uh, especially this past week. Uh, I've had a couple of cousins in this congregation that have gone home to be with the Lord this year, and one was Diana Danforth, and uh, the other's Rick Brumfield. And I can tell you, I have zero doubt in my mind where they are right now. I know they're with the Lord, and that He's well pleased with them. They lived a life that brought glory and honor to God. They lived L1 and L2. They loved God with everything they had, and they loved people. The Bible tells us a little bit about heaven. The Apostle Paul actually went there, and he said, this is a direct quote, he heard things that were so astounding it cannot be expressed in words. And later, he wrote, to live as Christ and die as gain. He also said that he would much rather be in heaven than on earth, but he was on earth because his work wasn't finished, and it was better for the believers. But at the end of his life, he said, and this is something I hope that we can all say. This is why I live my life. I want to be able to say this. I fought the good fight. I finished the race and have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which our Lord will give to me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all of us at Central Christian who are eagerly looking forward to his appearing. Praise God. I remember Rick as a kid. We have family reunions on Father's Day uh, every year or every other year. I can't remember. It was really cool. And Rick was like one of the cool cousins because he had a Harley and he had the motorcycle jacket and he had the long hair and everybody had like super short hair like mine. And uh, he was he was such a such a neat guy. And we kids would kind of like try to catch a little bit of a glimpse at him because we kind of thought he was kind of an intimidating looking guy, you know, when you're seven, eight, nine years old. But he was the nicest guy. And so we we came to Central uh, on October 22nd or 21st actually, five years ago uh, was our we came here for the very first time and seeing Rick sit back there about where Scott is and Debbie. And it was pretty neat to to be able to serve with him for the last five years that he was on this planet. And uh, Diana Danforth, also at those same family reunions, uh, she sat back about where the gentries are. And you may have remembered her. She sat alone. She had long, you know, white hair. She usually kept it up. And um, she was quiet, but she was always willing to talk. And I, I really loved her. Um, we were kind of close because her husband's a guy by the name of Gerald Danforth, and some of you may or may not have known him, but he's the one that took me to be water baptized when I was 10, and I went to, uh, it was great Sunday night church service, and I kept feeling this stirring on the inside, I need to have questions about baptism, water baptism. So I went up and I asked him, I said, I have questions about water baptism. He grabs me by the hand, takes me straight to the pastor and says, Rich, I wants to be water baptized. I'm like, I have questions, Gerald. 
but I was, and it was a wonderful thing. Uh, Diana called me at the bank one day about a year ago, went through a really, really difficult time, a dark place, and she said, Rich Ed, she calls me Rich Ed. And some people may hear that. It's short for Richard Edward. My family calls me that. Don has called me that many years. If you know me as Rich Ed West, you can call me Rich Ed. If not, please don't. But <laughs> She said, Rich Ed, I, I, I don't want to do this, but the Lord keeps pressing me to, so I'm going to. I know you're going through a dark time, and he spoke to me and said... Don't give up. He has something spectacular for you. It's quite a word, spectacular. And I can tell you it's true. Julie's pretty spectacular. My son playing bass up here is pretty spectacular. And I cannot tell you guys how many times those words... Played in my head during the hardest time of my life. Anyway, when it was over, um, I've come through the other side. I talked to her one Saturday night, and I said, Diane, I thank you so much for your prayers and for your encouragement. When you called me at the bank and you said God was going to do something spectacular, I said, you have no idea what that meant to me. And she said, I don't know what the Lord has for you to do, Richard. But even if it's just to spend eternity with him, that would be pretty spectacular. Those are the last words she spoke to me on this planet. So what I'm about to tell you, um, you can believe it or not, uh, her husband, Gerald, died in 1983 and he went to heaven. As did a lot of people in 1983. The difference is he came back. He was clinically dead for between 15 and 25 minutes, no pulse, no oxygen. He'd had a struggle with back pain. I think it was some kind of medicine, an allergic reaction to medicine, and he, and he died. He went to heaven. And he told the story of a, of a beautiful place where the gates and the walls, he said, they're just like they are in Revelation. And he said the colors that were there were beyond description. The greens were green, the reds were reds, the blues were blue. It was unlike anything we'd ever seen. And he noticed that the grass was all uniform. It was all the same height. And he said, when you step on it, it doesn't get crushed down. It's like it goes right up through your foot. And he thought that was pretty cool. And he also said he'd look around. We have a slide, I think, of a picture of him, if we can put that up. Um, he said that the thing that struck him the most is there's no shadow. The Bible says there's no shadow of turning with him. God is light, and everywhere he goes, the light permeates everywhere. I mean, we got bright lights up here on stage. We have shadows. We look, and you can see shadows all around. You can go outside, and you can see shadows. We always have shadows because the sun causes shadows. But in heaven, it's not that way. The light of God permeates everything, and there's no shadow. And he was with somebody. He said this person, he'd been with them. He'd known them their entire life, didn't know the name of the person, but had, that person had always been with them. And they were talking back and forth, and he's asking these different questions. He was talking about the music and, and the beautiful place that it was. And as he gets to a, he's about ready to walk around a corner, and he knew if he walked around that corner, there's no coming back, you know. And this person that was with him said, have you done everything God asked you to do? And Gerald didn't really answer because he wanted to go around that corner. The guy asked him again, have you done everything you're supposed to do? He had five people in his life that were not born again, and he said no. 
I'm not finished. Next thing he said, it's like he jumped back inside his body, and he heard the EMT say, we have a pulse. And he lived for 17 more years, and he led those five people to the Lord. And impacted people, you know, all over. He had a missionary. I forgot about this. I was talking with Kenneth Broad this morning, and they had a missionary a mission trips to Mexico. They would go down there and help people in Mexico, and I'd forgotten all about that. So he went and he lived his life to the full. And some people are like, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. And that's perfectly fine. You don't really have to. I mean, but if we're not, if we don't believe in heaven and we don't believe in hell, then what are we doing in church? There have been several people who have written uh, accounts who've gone to heaven. Some of them, I think, are accurate. Some of them, probably not. Some people have gone to hell, and they've, they've given uh, recom- um, recounted those types of stories. But I really believe what happened to him was was real. And those of you that know Gerald know he was there was not a false bone in his body. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He also said the road to hell is wide and many enter on it, but the way to life is straight and narrow and only a few find it. We don't like to think that most people are going to go to hell, but the Bible tells us that they are. And we have a responsibility to preach the gospel everywhere we go, and when necessary, even use words. I love that saying. But dear friends, the only way for us to join the saints who have gone before us, Jerry Berkey and Gerald Danforth and Diana Danforth and Rick Brumfield and so many other people that have passed on from this congregation, is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You know, the prayer to do this is short and the message is free, but it will cost you your life. God doesn't do halfway. He wants all of you or none of you. And Paul said what a bargain that is to trade the perishable for the imperishable and the things that pass away for the things that are eternal. So if you've not asked Jesus to come into your heart or into your life, come see me or Don or Franklin or several people in here that will lead you to him so that you can join the ranks of the redeemed and walk around that corner one day experiencing the glory of God. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blood of your son Jesus. I thank you for sending him to pay the price for our sins so that we could live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
spends a lot of time talking about the Navy SEALs and guys we all dig that kind of stuff and, and so I was reading it and it's really interesting and walking through how they do it because of course uh, Navy SEALs are going to be the the athletic ones the in intellectual ones. they're going to be smart and strong but he said there's more to it than that there's grit resiliency and passion the Navy SEAL ethos which is which is like your statement of faith it's your character it's what what you stand for, it's your work ethic, is on the wall in one of their training rooms. And it says this, in times of war or uncertainty, there is a special breed of warrior ready to answer our nation's call. A common man with an uncommon desire to succeed. The Hebrew writer is trying to instill a similar ethic in Christ's followers. A common man with an uncommon desire to succeed. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. If you're joining us online, you're in the room, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here at Central Christian Church. Get your Bible and get to Hebrews chapter 12. Get your app out. We want to be in the Word. We're a Bible-believing and a Bible-using church. But you need to understand that when the Hebrew writer is telling these people uh, this stuff, he's writing to a people that the politics are all against them. The economy is all against them. It's going to take a bold faith to survive. Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Notice the flow of all of these thoughts. He starts with the evidence. We're surrounded by all of these witnesses, all those people in Hebrews 11 that are standing with you. He lists the problems that you have a weight on top of you, a weight of anxiety, a weight of stress, a weight of lies that you're told. You need to get out of the net of sin and guilt and shame because the purpose is to run the race. Last week we talked about the format. You do this by fixing your eyes on Jesus. But this part is the ethos of the Christ follower. It's the, it's the character of the Christ follower. It's the why do we do this? Why do we run this race? I doubt anyone would disagree, but I'm, Navy SEAL training is intense. They go through a thing called Hell Week that might be 
six days, it might be 12, they don't really know. They never know when it's going to start, they never know when it's going to end. But it said they're, they spend the whole week freezing cold, soaking wet, exhausted. They might sleep two hours a day. They're running, they're lifting things, they're carrying things, they're covered in sand. There are instructors yelling at them the whole time. But one of the things that we don't hear about, and the Navy SEALs do, there's one instructor that is trained to stand off to the side and whisper. He stands off to the side or he pulls one of the guys to the side and says, man, you're not going to make this. Dude, we got blankets in the truck. We got, we got towels. We got hot chocolate. We got coffee. Just, just come on. You're not going to make it. And he is trained to try to get them to what is called DOR, drop on request. To withdraw from the program and lots do it's it's a mental battle but they did studies he said on how far these people are willing to go and most of those guys when they dor when they when they tap out they're they're done they i've got a i've given a hundred percent i've done everything i can do i've got nothing left but the studies that they've shown they get done. The ones that drop out are usually they've only given about 40%. They, they, they have so much more to do after this, and they have so much more that they could do. Most don't see the strength they have within. They just see the pain they're in. Now, friends, please understand, this is not one of those let's go win one for the Gipper speeches because that would be under your power, and that is not what God is calling us to do. He's not telling us to go out and win the race on our power. The Hebrew writer is saying, this is going to be hard. Don't give up. We talked about the economy, and we've talked about, hey, the the culture of that time, the politics were very much against them. But the economy was against a Christ follower too. In the biblical times, they had what were called guilds. Uh, you may have heard of an art guild. And, and a guild was the precursor to what we would call a union. All the fishermen were in a guild. All the carpenters were in a guild. If you were a mason, you were in that guild. And, and what it is, is it was all of the, the Jewish believers would come together and they would work together. But if you chose to follow Jesus, if you, if you chose to leave the synagogue or, or join in with these other Christians, you'd get kicked out of the guild. Now, what that means is if you're a carpenter, nobody's buying your work. Nobody's hiring you. If you're a fisherman, you're catching fish. Nobody's buying your fish. What's even, and, and it even has a flip side to it. Your wife, she goes to the market to get things, but since you've left that guild, they won't sell to her either. To follow Jesus meant economic suicide. You were walking away. Well, the Hebrew writer is saying, man, this is going to be hard. You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. And don't let go of that. This passage says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Those are words that don't seem to go together, joy and cross. But he did. He knew you and I were worth it. So he stayed there. But what if we can't see the end? What if we don't know what the next steps are? What if we can't see the end? Will we still keep going? Franklin played at the end of our communion time there uh, an old hymn called Anywhere with Jesus. Anybody recognize this one? Anywhere with Jesus. I can safely go anywhere he leads me in this world below. Anywhere without him dearest joys would fade. Anywhere with Jesus 
I am not afraid. I wonder if Job sang that song when he was going through his stuff. You see, we just finished a study in a couple of our classes on Job and looking at the conflict and the problems he was dealing with. Do you realize Job never heard from God until it was all over? He had to go through that without God saying, hey, man, this could be rough, but I'm with you. All right? He didn't hear that. All this conversation that's happening in Job is behind his back. What if we walk up and say, anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. What if anywhere can be a low place? Ask Jacob when he wrestles all night and he, now he walks with a limp. If anywhere with Jesus, I'm not afraid. Ask, P, ask Paul, who spends his life ministering to people, traveling, walking thousands of miles just to tell people about Jesus, and all the while with a nagging thorn in his flesh. Whatever that was, maybe it was his eyesight, maybe it was health, we don't know, and it doesn't matter. He was dealing with this. This is not popular, but you need to understand, we need to accept that sometimes we are dealing with a God-given defeat. We are dealing with something in our life that is difficult, and, and God is aware of it, and He's not stopping it. Jesus knew the cross was coming, and He still did it anyway. We don't know what is coming, but He did promise us two things. He promised us, you will have pain. You will not be alone. He guaranteed us. He assured us of those two things. You're going to have troubles. You're not going to be alone. Go with me back to Matthew chapter 5 for just a second. Matthew 5, I want to start in verse 38. You'll recognize this as part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to hear his words as he talks and deals with people, and then we're going to try something together and see if this works. Matthew, let's start in verse 38. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Have you all heard that line before? Okay, just check it, just check If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat as well. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the... The law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Now go back up to verse 39. He says, but if someone slaps you on your right cheek. I want to try something with you. I need you to do something. Everybody put your hand on your right cheek. Your other right cheek, some of you. Now, keep it there, okay? Keep your hand on your right cheek. Now, the Scripture says someone comes up to you and slaps you on your right cheek, realizing in that culture most of the people are right-handed. How am I going to slap you on your right cheek? I'm probably going to do it backhanded. True. You can put your hands down. How many of you have received a backhanded comment? True. How many of you, maybe it's a backhanded insult. Let's be honest. I mean, do backhanded insults really do much harm? I mean, they hurt our feelings. 
They might feed into our insecurities, but do they really harm us? Probably not. But what if you do what it says and you turn the other cheek? You are opening yourself up to what? To a full frontal attack. I'm coming at you with all of my weight, all of the fastball, everything is coming. Why would we do that? Why would anybody do that? Look at verse 45. In verse 45 he says, You will be acting as true children of God. Jesus has given us the most powerful way to fight back. Friends, the church has never grown when we've argued with people. The church has never grown when we've, we've scared people, when we've slapped back. I came from a background that debated, all right? We've got to debate. We've got to straighten you people out. All right? We've never grown in those times. You know when we've grown the most? When the church has grown the most is when we stand on godly principles and we suffer for our enemy just like Jesus did. Now, that's not popular. Because we want to say, we want to be in charge, and we want it our way. Back to, to Hebrews 12, listen to what it says. Consider the hostility he endured, so you won't lose heart. My son Levi figured, picked up on this. Um, He's a preacher's kid. Now, I, I'm a preacher's kid. Anybody PKs in here? My wife's a PK. Uh, uh, all right, PKs. Franklin's a PK. Okay. Um, when I took this job, I didn't realize, but I made my kids PKs, and that's tragic. Uh, that's just... Because if you're not a PK, you need to understand this. In our home, anything you say can and will be used against you later on in a sermon illustration. Uh, that's just how it is. So that's why Landry hides in the booth and Levi and Landon go elsewhere. He's going to talk about us. Well, I am. We were driving down the road. We, we do that little action Bible uh, as our Bible study. On our way to school every morning, we, we read some of it and we talk about it. And, you know, and it's kind of it's written in comic book form, so they're, in, they're paying attention. And we were looking at the study of Paul and Silas when they were in jail. Uh, the Romans threw them in jail. They beat them. And remember the one where they're singing at night? And and then the angel comes and breaks them out of prison. And the guy thinks he's, oh my goodness, they're out. We're going to die. And he leads those people to Jesus. We're talking about that story. And Levi said, but dad, what's really frustrating is the Romans threw them in, in prison because they were causing trouble. He said, but they weren't. They weren't causing a riot. They weren't doing anything wrong. That's not fair. They made up lies about him. That's a very observant. And then we went on, and I said, well, how do you feel about the situation with Jesus? He said, it's kind of the same thing there, too. You know, all the stuff that when he really was tried and convicted, it was all lies. True? It, it was lies that happened to, Peter, to Paul and Silas and Peter and, and other places. And Jesus, he was correct, and they were lying about him. Friends, they might be lying about you, too. Might be people at work. Someone is punishing you. Somebody's picking on you. Somebody, they're, they're being rude to you because you're bringing light. Maybe it's at school. You're not invited. You're not included because you're not, you don't party like they do and you don't do everything like they do. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's your ex. 
saying you're not a good parent. You're not covering, you know, you're not doing all, you, you just, you've never done anything. And they're saying hateful things about you. You know what? It is super easy to give up. When you're hearing the lies, and, and you know there's lies, and you can't fight back. And it's very easy to give up. God is calling us to push through more than just 40%. He's calling us to push through even when it is difficult. You see, Jesus saw the cross, and He knew the pain, and He still did it anyway. That cross was placed on Golgotha. We know that, Calvary, Golgotha. Many have probably heard preachers talk about Golgotha, Golgotha means the place of the skull. Okay, most of you know that. A skull encapsulates and protects our mind. Is that a fair, our brain? Is that, is that a fair assumption? And let's be honest. Most of our biggest battles are not out there. They're right here. They're the voices you hear. They're the, the struggles, the insecurities, the doubts that you have. I've said this before sometimes. My greatest enemy is my inner me. And just like those Navy SEALs, there's one guy off to the side whispering, this battle's not worth it. You can't do this. You're not capable enough. You've, you've already blown it too many times. You're not going to get it done. This is a lot of work. Just do what makes you happy. Don't do what helps everybody else. You just do you. You're important. And Jesus is telling you to not grow weary of doing the right thing. Don't give up. The Navy SEALs talk a lot about a word resiliency. It is the key to making it through their training. They define resilience in three categories, three words, the three C's. They said you've got to face all of these every day if you're going to be resilient. A resilient person sees difficulty as a challenge. That's the first one. Not a paralyzing event. They lean into it. They know they are hired to do a job that is not easy. They've never, it's never going to have an easy day. Every day is going to be challenging. So they lean into it. All right, what, what are we going to see today? They also are committed to their goals. A resilient person stays consistent to their goals. Uh, just tell them I'll call them back in a minute. Um, <laughs> sorry, bad Don, bad Don. Um, resilient people stay consistent to goals, and they're aware of the distractions. There are a lot of, we talked last week about the ways that we are distracted from our following God. The enemy has one job. Our enemy has only one job, and it is not to send you to hell. That's the gravy of him doing his job. His job is to get your eyes off of Jesus. Distract you. That's it. That's all you got to do. Get your eyes off of Jesus. And a, a resilient person is committed to the goal. And a resilient person deals with control in a different way. They focus on what they can control. If they can't control the outcome, I'm going to control my attitude and the, the details that I can take care of. Friends, hard times come to Navy SEALs. Hard times come to Christ's followers. Will we be resilient? Will we bounce back from these hard times or are they just going to knock us down consistently? The Hebrew writer says, think of his persistence. One version it said, think of his persistence. I love that word. Do you realize nothing can take the place of persistence? 
not talent. Because you and I both know loads of unsuccessful men with talent. It's not genius. We know lots of smart people that are unemployed. It's not even money. We know lots of rich people that are dumb, all right? We see them on TV all the time. You got way more dollars than you have cents, all right? I, and we got, and it doesn't matter. We've seen poor people that are smart, haven't we? The key factor is persistent. Will you be persistent in your pursuit of God? We talked last week about our habits. Your prayer life, your, your Bible study, your worship, your consistency. Will you be persistent in chasing after Him? Many of you are very persistent at your work. Many of you are very persistent at your hobbies. You're very persistent at, at knowing what's going on. And, and will we have that kind of persistence chasing after Him? Are you persistently showing Him? A few weeks back, I, I had lunch with a friend of mine that was coming in from out of town. He used to live here a long time ago, and we met. We were talking, kind of going through his life and what's going on. He has a daughter that's 19. Um, they were She was adopted. We talk a lot about adoption, and, and uh, she's a wonderful girl and, and was raised. They adopted her from overseas, uh, raised in a Christian home. I, every day she's been alive and been in this Christian home, uh, every every possible thing they could do for her. She went to a Christian school. They were in church every time the doors opened. They were faithful, believing family. They're a faithful, believing family. And uh, she goes off to college. She comes back. She says, Dad, I need to talk to you. Look, I love God, but you need to understand, I, I, don't, I don't like the church. I'm, I'm sick of it. And he felt like a failure as a dad. And for those of you dads and, and kids make mistakes, we feel like failures, don't we? This kid, she went on to say, Dad, I love you and I love the Lord, but I just, I'm so sick of church. Not because of the worship and not because of you and not because of the pews, not because of the preaching. But she said this, it's because of all the hateful words that come out of Christians' mouths. I mean, is she really wrong? I'm embarrassed. She went on to talk. She said it's it's how they deal with hot-button political issues, LBGTQ and abortion and politics. And, and yes, we all have viewpoints. And, yes, we try to base our viewpoints on Scripture. But too many times it comes across hateful. We see the Scripture in Matthew chapter 5 that we just read, love your enemies and pray for them. But too many times we act awful. I'm not trying to gripe at anybody, and I'm not trying to come down on anybody. I'm just saying we can be absolutely right on our doctrine and still be wrong. If we speak with the, the tongues of men and angels, according to 1 Corinthians 13, but I have not love, I am just making noise. We've got to love on people, even when it's hard. In John chapter 16, the verse that Marie read earlier, in this world you will have trouble. The question is not, and nor has it ever been, if the world is against us. Guess what? It is. 
It was against the Hebrew people. It's against us. It's never been a God-fearing society and a God-honoring society. We sit there and say, but Don, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I go, yes, it is. It always has. I don't want that. I don't want it for my kids. I don't want it for your kids. But Jesus is telling us, the Hebrew writer is telling us to have courage, to push through And to hang on to him. So some questions. Will you go beyond 40% for Jesus? Will you go beyond? Not just your way. Not just what you want. Will you go beyond to help other people? Will you turn the other cheek when people speak poorly of you? Or will you return with poor words yourself? Will you endure difficulty and stand for him? One of the comments in this book about the Navy SEALs, he says, when the only thing that will get you through Navy SEAL training is mindset, focus, and resiliency. And I like that statement. I wonder if I could take one phrase out and put Christ follower in. The only thing that will get you through this world as a Christ follower is mindset, focus, and resiliency. Friends, the church will have a bright future. Thank you. There we go. I'm giving you a, serving you up a softball there, all right? The church will have a bright future. It has a bright future. It always has been the method with which Jesus said, go change the world with the body of Christ. Go be my life. It will have a bright future if we have His courage in us. Are you worn out from the race? Let's be honest, this race is hard. And it gets tiring and weary. Does sin have you trapped? Guilt and shame. Is the weight of the anxiety and the lies that have been said about you dragging you down? There is a cloud of witnesses cheering for you. And you can make it if you fix your eyes on Jesus. Friends, you're not enough unless you have Him. Let's pray. Father, may we follow You every step of the way. You're enough. Give us strength to hang on to You. Give us habits that draw us close to You. Father, for every hurting heart that's here watching online, may we see you. May we fix our eyes on you. May we honor you today in our words and life. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.